And I just want to keep this focus on the face of those people. These are senior citizens like you and like me. They've worked hard. They're at a point in their life where they depend like they've always had, had depended on the mail. Some of them have high blood pressure. They wait for their medications. Others have heart trouble. They wait for their medications. These are citizens, men and women who put on a uniform in various wars and conflicts and represented us and rely daily on the mail for their checks, their VA checks, for their medicines. So these are real, real stories. And when the mail slows down, it has a disparate impact on communities and particularly on communities of color around this country. And, and just before I yield back my time, sir, what would you say to those veterans, those senior citizens, those average Americans, and those small business people who have been disproportionately impacted in the last five or six weeks because of this slowdown? We are, we are concerned about every delivery that is, that is late, and we're working very, very hard to get it back on track. Hello and welcome to Hymnscast. What you just heard was a sh- very short clip from last week's congressional hearing uh, with Postmaster Louis DeJoy, and the questioner there was Kwese Mufume, uh, the Democrat from Maryland. We are going to talk today a little bit about the big post office uh, controversy, how it has and hasn't affected uh, the healthcare industry and healthcare startups and, and digital health uh, startups. And a little bit about, um, you know, some of the other kind of similar uh, politicization of, of uh, typically non-political government agencies um, and how that might also be affecting the space. So joining me, I have a multidisciplinary panel of editors from each of our three information brands. Kat Jersich, Senior Editor with Healthcare IT News. Dave Moyo, Associate Editor with Moby Health News, and Jeff Lagasse, Associate Editor with Healthcare Finance News. Uh, Dave and Jeff have both written pieces about the post office. Kat was working on one and found some interesting findings, so that, that may or may not come through, and we'll talk about that as we get into it. But Dave, why don't you start and, and tell us a little bit about what you wrote for Moby? Absolutely. So as you're alluding to and as we heard in the uh, clip there, there's been a lot of back and forth about uh, the impact that delayed uh, parcel services through the USPS could have on prescription deliveries. And we know that a lot of uh, online pharmacies, especially nowadays, are getting more and more funding or becoming more prominent fixtures in the uh, digital health, um, health insurance, and just standard pharmacies business. These shipments are happening very often. And with COVID-19 happening, a lot of us are absolutely staying at home and trying to avoid trips to the pharmacy if we can uh, possibly do so. So last week, Kat and I reached out to a handful of different pharmacies, uh, a couple PBMs, and some of the startups that are working in this space, and basically just asked them, hey, is this going to affect you? Do you anticipate that um, some of your shipments are being delayed? Will this have a hit to... uh, maybe your bottom lines, are you even using the USPS to send out your prescriptions? And as you were just hinting at, we got a very wide range of answers, pretty mixed. I think if I was to pull together trends, a lot of the larger names have multiple partners. 
Um, some of them work with USPS in certain areas when it makes sense. Other ones with the private shipping services. Um, especially a handful of them are standing by the uh, Package Coalition, which I understand to be an advocacy group focused on this type of thing. CVS Health and Amazon's Pillback, uh, Pill Pack both spoke to me and said that we stand with their position on supporting the emergency for the post office. Uh, others said they are observing what's going on, some of those names being Humana Pharmacy, Cigna Express Scripts, Walgreens, uh, now uh, online pharmacy, now RX. All we're saying we're watching it. We don't anticipate any major hits. Uh, the really uh, worried answers seem to come from the smaller companies, the startups. Um, I had some email comments back and forth with Jessica Nohavandi, who's the co-founder and lead pharmacist of Honeybee Health, um, an online pharmacy. And she was saying that about 20% of their customers ordering first-class meal deliveries were experiencing delays during the summer through USPS and went on to discuss that um, they have a guaranteed uh, money back or reshipment policy. So that's a clear hit to their bottom line. Meanwhile, another um, provider of mail order birth control through an online platform, Simple Health, put out a full statement, um, much more political in its denouncing of the situation that's ongoing, but also saying the same idea that um, they are definitely seeing hits. And they stressed in particular that they exclusively use the USPS. And they have some issues where because of uh, insurance coverage of their customers, it's not like they can send their parcels out earlier to offset the delays. They have very uh, rigid shipping timetables and beyond their control, these are just getting delayed. And Jeff, tell us a little bit about what you wrote the other day for Healthcare Finance. Yeah, so it was really interesting. There was a poll um, conducted by the uh, National Poll on Healthy Aging, and uh, it showed that uh, between 25 to 29% of people uh, between the ages of 50 and 80 uh, receive at least one medication by mail. And out of that group, 17% said that they receive all of their medications by by mail. Now, this was a poll, so it didn't uh, offer an analysis of how this would affect the healthcare industry per se. But given the trends uh, that we're seeing, it's pretty easy to extrapolate. I mean, uh, we all know that hospitals are stretched to capacity and sometimes beyond capacity because of the coronavirus. And if you've got all these people who aren't receiving their medications, there's a good chance they develop ailments or complications that could land them in the hospital. And they don't want to be there, and the hospital would likely prefer that they not be there because they've already got their hands full. So, you know, when you factor in PPE shortages and testing shortages, it's just a, a recipe for disaster. And it's worth noting, too, that many insurance carriers uh, require uh, certain prescription medications to be mailed. So people are just stuck in this untenable position. Now, Kat, you looked into another p- potential area of disruption here um, vis-a-vis remote monitoring technologies, m- many of which need to be mailed out and mailed back. Um, but you, you ran into an interesting finding there. Tell us a little bit about that. I reached out to, I would say, 20 to 25 different um, remote patient monitoring vendors and also health systems that have been relying on re- remote patient monitoring, especially folks that our colleague Bill Sawicki has reported on who have used FCC funding to send um, or to purchase rather devices and send to patients. And I have not found a single person that has reported a slowdown, mostly because they rely on uh, private couriers, which kind of raises the interesting question of whether 
I mean, on the one hand, yes, a USPS slowdown will likely not affect this group of people. But on the other hand, is that contributing to a stratification of availability where the people that can afford to use these private providers will still be able to send out their devices, whereas people who rely on USPS, like Dave was saying, will find their bottom line impacted. Um, I also actually spoke to John McHugh from the Package Coalition, who said that the majority of folks in the coalition rely on a lot of the major private providers, but also on the USPS. And he kind of came down on the side of competition, where having the USPS as a competitor benefits the consumer because it prevents artificial price inflation, which will eventually have an impact on these vendors, even if it's not having one in the short term. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think you also have to wonder why why are they all relying on private couriers? Because obviously this problem with the USPS is is it's recent but it's not totally new and and the you know it has had reliability and and uh and promptness issues in the past. So I wonder if they kind of dealt with this previously or something. That's a great question, and it's not one I asked them. I, I guess I kind of assumed that it had to do with this um, sort of specter of unreliability that's been haunting the, the post office, which is the result of years of funding cuts and stuff like that. Um, but I would also say that a lot of them were reluctant to weigh in specifically, I think because this whole issue has taken on a political bet in the last few weeks. Um, now supporting the USPS has a certain political undertone that it maybe didn't a few weeks ago, which is kind of startling in and of itself. I mean, it's it's the mail. <laughs> it it has become very weirdly partisan. And, and one thing that I noticed listening to the DeJoy hearing was just how much it had become a debate of kind of alternative facts uh, where one side says, you know, the mail has been a, a problem and it's wasting, the USPS is wasting lots of money and DeJoy has come in to fix it. And these are just growing pains of, of somebody finally running that place right uh, versus the democratic narrative that, you know, DeJoy has come in in order to sabotage the post office. Um, the strong implication, if not an outright accusation, um, that that's related to um, the 2020 election and affecting the viability of mail-in ballots. So it's a pretty crazy unprecedented situation. <laughs> I mean, from what you guys have seen and what you have read, what do you make of it? Um, I would say... My takeaway is that maybe there's an opportunity here for the companies that aren't reliant on the USPS just to avoid maybe the stink of the conflict that's going on. They don't need to um, bury their noses in a partisan debate one way or another. Um, Like we were saying, or Kat was saying, maybe some of the smaller uh, services, that might be unavoidable because they've said we very often get better rates from the USPS. But larger services that can rely on couriers or have been relying on couriers if for risk avoidance or whatever reason, um, will likely continue to do so if they think that there's a hint that their packages won't be happening uh, coming out at the right time. And meanwhile, we have um, a handful of these other online pharmacies that specialize in same-day or same-hour deliveries. Uh, those are almost always handled by their own fleet of uh, logistic services, and you have to imagine that when there's a conversation going on uh, broadly about packages not coming in on time, those who are relying on those prescriptions, the consumers, would 
probably see the appeal of going with one of these services that's up and coming. Then, of course, the risk there, Kat mentioned price inflation, um, you know, is that it, whenever these private couriers do, um, you know, do significantly better than the USPS, especially in situations as sort of obviously crucial as getting people their medications on time, it sort of can lend fuel to the fire of the argument that the post office should be privatized or, or should be uh, you know, abolished in favor of, of private couriers. So it's it's sort of interesting. It, it it supplies fuel on both sides. Yeah, I think anytime you have an opportunity for disruption of a public service, obviously it gives way to a lot of startups and competitors, but then that in turn can result in some pretty strange availability for folks that can't afford those private couriers. Um, I'm thinking about in other industries how um, smaller companies will come in and and make things more convenient for people who can afford it, but then the people who can't afford it um, are then sort of left behind or relying on subsidies, which again uh, is maybe republicizing the privatized industry. <laughs> Yeah, one of the reasons I picked that um, Mufume uh, clip was was in addition to talking about medications, he talks about small businesses, and he talks about communities of color and, and the kind of inherent disparity that the situation creates. So I think that's that's a really interesting piece. Um, Jeff, as as we look at that data about how many people are getting their uh, prescriptions by mail, how how important the mail has become. I mean, is there any indication that 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 COVID has changed the nature of that cohort, that more people or more different kinds of people are getting their medications by mail than they, than they were before the pandemic? Um, there was nothing really in the data that I saw that indicated one way or the other, but, you know, I, I think intuitively, uh, you know, we can kind of make the assumption that if it's mainly people in the 50 to 80 uh, demographic uh, who are being affected by this, that's more or less the same uh, demographic that's the most affected by COVID. So essentially what you've uh, created is kind of a, a double whammy uh, for this cohort where they're dealing with both uh, simultaneously. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying before about being an untenable situation. I mean, how long can that continue to go on? Probably not very long. We've also heard a lot in recent weeks about the importance of kind of rural America. You know, uh, on a previous episode of Hemscast, we talked about President Trump focusing on rural America with regard to telehealth. And it is interesting to me as we're talking that this strikes me as something that will have an outsized impact on rural America, especially for folks that may not be within certain ranges. I mean, of the like same day service in particular, that seems to me a very um, urban leaning service. Uh, I haven't really looked into it, so may I hope if I'm wrong about that. But you're spot on. It feels very urban. Yeah, yeah. the very limited I mean, uh, deployments right now. It's specific cities, uh, California area, stuff like that. Definitely. And so it is interesting to me that it almost seems counterintuitive that something that, that like the USPS that would affect rural people in America disproportionately is now being targeted by people who often are speaking in favor of rural America. Yeah, it's really actually been very interesting, I think, to watch as the telemedicine ecosystem has kind of evolved and and kind of tried to answer the questions of how can this take the place of all of the pieces of in-person care that 
well, you know, what we call snail mail um, has has to be a piece of that um, because it it just allows you to do certain things that no amount of innovation will let you do by video, like deliver people's medications or deliver you know swab tests like genetic tests or or you know these twenty three and me. So there there is a role for if not the USPS, then at least you know, the mail um, more broadly to play in in digital health. And it's it's kind of an essential one. I think it, it, it might not be one that people like to talk about that much because it it, it makes the industry seem less, um, you know, less sleek and digital and innovative. But it, it becomes very a stark in situations like this, I suppose. Um, Dave, you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the, the going further with this politicization politicization issue. Um, it, are there other agencies that um, that are increasingly becoming uh, politicized or, or partisan to talk about that, that traditionally haven't been, uh, especially where they intersect with the healthcare system? We've, we've we discussed briefly the FDA, the CDC. Well. If they are or not is certainly another subject up to debate. I think the ongoing trend here is that this is very much a developing situation and a lot of the decision making happens behind closed doors. But in some ways, the optics have uh, allowed those who are concerned reason to voice those concerns uh, over the weekend uh, more recently. And again, this is very developing. Um, the FDA issued an emergency use authorization for uh, the plas- plasma treatments for COVID-19. And it happened very shortly after the agency and its leader was called out by the president on Twitter. It happened on the eve of the Republican National Convention. And on stage, I think you could make an argument that the language being used was a little bit uh, expectant and triumphant in a way that a lot of the times, if you read a, an FDA communication, uh, one of their press releases or something along those lines, usually they're very muted and they're very focused on, this is conditional, this is a risk. And that didn't seem to me to be the tone of that announcement. And also worth noting that the statistics that the commissioner um, described during that announcement, he later came out a day later and apologized that they were inaccurate. That is really interesting. Um, anyone else any thoughts on on that development? It's something I'm kind of torn on as someone who's been doing a lot of reporting about the sort of related push for hospitals to report to HHS directly rather than to the CDC because I am generally, as a journalist, a person who tends to believe in uh, human error and uh, ego rather than conspiracies. Um, so a lot of the alarmism specifically about the HHS and CDC, especially in those early days, I thought was a bit overblown, to be honest, which is maybe a hot take. But I, it just kind of struck me more as career bureaucrats who were scrambling to catch up with expectations from the top that might have might have been unreasonable with regard to data speed and data overhaul and then when those speed expectations weren't met rapidly pivoting in a very kind of atypical way for a federal agency which then caused a lot of chaos so i guess it it doesn't 
it doesn't really matter what the intention is because the result is chaos uh, and confusion. But I do, I thought Dave put it really beautifully where that the optics remain um, not great. And, <laughs> and, and that will have an effect on public health. If, in my opinion, if members of the public cannot trust that the CDC and the FDA and that the HHS are releasing data-backed and science-backed decisions, then that will continue to sow discord. And so even if these decisions aren't being made with some nefarious intention, again, the result may be less than ideal. Yeah, I mean, to get back to DeJoy, um, President Trump has a habit of appointing people with whom he has other relationships and financial relationships and campaign donor relationships to these positions. And once you start doing that, it's very hard, even if there isn't any kind of malfeasance to avoid the optics of malfeasance when, you know, when so many of your appointees are, um, are subject to to at least the appearance of of cronyism. I remember being incredibly impressed by uh, Scott Gottlieb, uh, during his tenure as commissioner, that he managed to um, quite thoroughly, I think, avoid the the sort of taint of that, and he's he's still sort of a voice that people are listening to and and uh, and trusting on COVID, despite having been a, a Trump appointee. But I think it, that's a just a very hard uh, line to walk for these, as you say, career bureaucrats who are mostly, if they're if they're good at their job, um, are not primarily trained to do politicking and and do optics and you know worry about looking good and they just worry about you know doing things you know right (laughs) so so yeah it's a it's definitely it's potentially a widespread issue and and you know one that the new normal of polarization in politics are going to force us to continue confronting even i think beyond 2020 no matter how it goes I mean, it has a very concrete uh, test coming up. Whenever there is a vaccine, that might come down to has the administration, have the various agencies done a good job of reassuring the public that their decisions are trustworthy? Or because I'm sure there's going to be a camp that doesn't want that first wave of vaccines if it comes earlier than expected, which by all means, vaccines take several years, anything coming out with as quickly as we've been seeing or as we've been promised is nothing short of a miracle. Right. And the fact that the difference between a 2020 vaccine and a 2021 vaccine is also the difference between a vaccine that comes out right before the election and a vaccine that comes out right after is adding another layer of, of complication to, to all of this by, you know, to, to, to understate it a bit, I think. Well, any final thoughts about this topic about the post office? Um, what are we What are we watching going forward? Especially about the mail, I guess to, to to bring it back around home. As I was thinking about this issue today, my thoughts kept uh, returning to social determinants of health. Uh, we all know what those are, uh, obviously, and uh, one of the social determinants is access. And mm-hmm. if the mail issue hinders access to medications, you introduce a much higher probability of health complications, and that's a strain that the current healthcare system just is not equipped to handle. Um, it would be great if there was some kind of workaround, but you know, until there is, 
the best way to get medicines into people's hands is to have a functioning postal service. Um, and, you know, I can't predict with any authority how likely that is to happen, but my hope is that it does because people have had enough and healthcare workers have had enough. And I mean, frankly, we've all had enough. So we can only hope the situation improves before we start seeing some pretty unsavory downstream effects. Something that also occurred to me, again, with regard to HHS also, is that some health systems are still relying on the mail for data sharing, um, the mail and fax, which is something we hadn't really touched on. Um, and I think that is certainly not a majority of data sharing, especially with regard to the new HHS teletracking portal, but the COVID-19 crisis has made it very clear how important interoperability is in the United States. And if some hospitals and health systems, especially smaller ones, are still relying on snail mail and snail mail is no longer reliable, that is just going to continue, as Jeff was saying, having downstream effects. I think and wonder if there's going to be the other shoe will drop in this scenario. We've spoken to a lot of these companies that are relying on USPS or just shipping services in general, and most of them will say they either don't have an impact or they support the post office, um, whatever sense they want to take or whatever way they want to not get too involved. But maybe this is just a sign of the times in America that how our brands work but we've definitely seen just a wave or a page turn when something has enough inertia or force and there's enough evidence that the brands will change their tune. We'll get solidarity messages or any sort of uh, public corporate um, support messaging system that will begin to happen if there's enough of a push. And I think also if they see it having a clear impact on their businesses. The fact that we didn't see that yet, I think says a little bit about how much these companies are actively relying on it. But I think if there's going to be a major update on this or a major development within the industry, it might come from that sort of risk reward of taking a stance versus staying apolitical. Well, thank you all uh, for joining me on this. This has been an interesting topic to discuss and, a, and a, an interesting episode. Uh, we'll, of course, as always, include some links uh, in our show notes. You can read the reporting that our team's done on this topic. And if we come out with any stories between now, uh, recording this on Wednesday and, and Friday, we'll we'll, um, we'll throw those in, too. Uh, again, thank you all uh, for joining me today. And thank you all for listening. Thank you.